Good morning. Welcome. Thank you for joining us. So good to be with you wherever you are, whenever you are. Uh, if you're live, take a second to let us know you're worshiping by filling out a connect card. Um, as Zawadi said, make some noise in the chat. Um, great message last week by Mike. Mike tells me that he worships by lifting weights. Uh, so put your uh, bench press in the uh, chat there as well. You know, we are one year into this lockdown. I can't I hardly even believe it. I still I feel though um, like it's getting into my head, like there's a fog in my head around this. Today we're going to talk about how we think. Uh, Mike did a great job last night, last week. Wasn't that a wonderful message uh, about unfollowing the world? We learned from St. John about the things of the world. We're going to learn from St. Paul today about uh, thinking, the thinking of the world. Remember, this is Lent, preparation for Easter. And we're asking three questions. Who or what is leading me? Uh, where am I going in life? And what will, will, will I want to get there when I do? Because Jesus says, follow me, follow me. But to do that, we have to unfollow other things. Following Jesus isn't natural. There's something um, around me that wants to pull me from Jesus's love. There's something within me that wants to pull me from Jesus's love. There's something above me that wants to pull me from Jesus's love. We learn that in Ephesians chapter two, verses one through three. And the church has called it historically the world, the flesh, and the devil. We have to unfollow these things in order to follow Jesus. Well, today I'm going to tell you a story. It's kind of like a little parable. Uh, well, it's, I'll use it that way. Years ago, when I was in grad school, one of my professors drove um, his car through downtown Boston. And he saw a friend crossing the street. He's like, hey, I know that guy. He pulls over, uh, runs out, and catches up with him and says, hey, and they have a chat, they hug and laugh and they get talking. It's been a while, so let's, hey, let's have lunch together. Good idea. So they go and they have lunch and then they go back to work. Well, at the end of the day, when my professor comes out of his office, um, comes out into the sidewalk, it's rush hour, and the, the sidewalk's just packed with people. Uh, maybe you've had that experience. Right? And, the, and it's just a crowd of people and he just kind of merges in and they all take him. Um, he just kind of flows along with the crowd. And we get um, off the train at home. He's at the suburban train station near the town where he lives. He calls his wife and he says, Honey, um, you know, I made it to the train station. Can you come and pick me up? And she says, um, Honey, I can't pick you up. You have the car. You drove to work today, remember? Oh, it's downtown. I could totally see myself doing that. But here's the point. St. Paul encourages us not to follow the crowd. That's the text that we just read. Do not be conformed to this world. I love the way J.B. Phillips says it. Do not let the world squeeze you into its mold, he says, into its own mold. Uh, do not be conformed to, to this world, Paul says, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. He's, he's talking about how we think, about what, what happens in our minds, about what's going on in our heads. He's essentially saying, let Jesus renew your mind. So you software engineers might say, let him reprogram your mind. You electricians might say, let him rewire your brain. You biologists might say, let him remap your neural pathways. And this is my favorite. You alcoholics might say, let him replace your stinking thinking. I love that. This is what Paul is saying. And why would we want that, a 
change in our thinking. Why? Well, here's my first point. Uh, unfollow the world in your mind because it won't take you where you want to go. The world and its thinking will not take you where you want to go. Paul used some interesting language here. The language suggests a pattern. He uses a word from which we get our word scheme or schema, like a blueprint or pattern. Uh, the, the world is a pattern of thought. And then he uses the word for world. It's, it's age. It's aeon, from which we get our English word eon. It's kind of like a, a period of time, a great period of time. Like it's, he's speaking the way Jesus would speak when he talked about this age versus the age to come. So, so he's saying the world has this pattern of thought that reflects this age, this age that's passing away. It's not good news. It's old news. Don't be conformed to that. It's not going to take you where you want to go. Think about my professor for a moment. Again, put, put yourself in that crowd. Um, he's in this crowd, and it's taking him where he doesn't want to go. Why does he follow the crowd? Well, I suspect it's because there's a pattern in, in his own life, right? He's, he's gone that route before. It probably usually takes the train. I don't know. Maybe he doesn't drive hardly at all. So when he gets in that, it's just part of his routine. And um, when he's in this crowd, it's a familiar crowd to him. It's a safe crowd for him. It's a comfortable crowd. These are the people that he usually hangs with. He usually goes where they go and thinks the way they think in order to get there. Now, what's he thinking on this day? Who knows? Maybe just about lunch or the last phone call or getting home. Maybe he's not thinking at all. The problem is that when he's in this crowd, there's, there's certain key facts that he's forgetting. There are key facts that the crowd can't actually tell him, like you drove today, or your car is double parked, maybe even idling still somewhere. And the further you go in this direction, actually the further you're going to get from home. So there are these things that the crowd cannot tell him, and as long as he just doesn't think, he's going to be swept into a place where he doesn't want to go. So you get the idea. Well, this happens to all of us. Uh, Jesus one day was talking with some fellow Jews, read the account in John 8, and he's talking to them about liberation. He, he says, um, this is a promise we started with two weeks ago, if you follow me, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. It's this wonderful promise. It's a little astounding. It's like they kind of push back at first, which is understandable. What? But what's interesting is if you read closely, they say something that indicates they have lost the key facts of their life as well. Just catch this. This is very subtle. Here's John 8, 33. They answered him, we are descendants of Abraham, that means they're Jews, and have never been slaves to anyone. What do you mean by saying you will be made free? Did you catch anything unusual there? We're the descendants of Abraham and have never been slaves to anyone. Does that sound right to you? you know anything about the Old Testament? You know anything about the story of, of, of Israel and Judaism? At the very center is the Exodus, right? That's the heart of it, that, that they were slaves, but God came and rescued them. See, they've just forgotten the key fact of who they are. And that's not going to take them where they want to go. They've kind of assimilated now to the mindset of a culture that didn't have an experience of Exodus. And the problem is no Exodus, no Redeemer. 
key facts are gone. And, and that's not going to take them where they want to go. The pattern of the world then becomes the pattern in their minds. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, Paul says. Be, be thoughtful. Be a thoughtful person. So unfollow the world in your mind because it won't take you where you want to go. Okay, but how? How would we do this? Well, this is the second point. Uh, number two, the way to unfollow the world in your mind is to give yourself to Jesus. It's that simple. Give yourself to Jesus. Here's the way St. Paul says it. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Present your bodies to God. And when he's talking about bodies and mind, he's saying your whole self. Present that to God. This is metaphorical language. It's temple language. It's, the temple was the place where God said, this is where I dwell among my people. And you know, the holy place was the place where this special offering was made that brought us into God's grace and God's presence. And it's, it's like the Lord is saying through these words of Paul to his readers in Rome, I want you in here with me. And I, I don't want your goats and your lambs. I, I want you, I, I, all of you, your body, your mind. I, I want your best thinking. I want your stinking thinking. I want all of you in here with me. It's an invitation that's issued in love. And, he, and the, the verb here, the imperative, the great imperative of the, of the passage is, to present yourself to God, to present yourself. Now, that Greek word is a compound word with two other words that mean stand with or stand alongside. So to present yourself is to stand, is to come and, and stand alongside of God. Offer yourself, give yourself, stand with. This is the language that Paul uses throughout the letter, by the way, just a quick overview. Romans 6, 13, he said, no longer present your members by, by which he means any part of your life, uh, to sin as instruments of, of wickedness, but present yourself to God uh, as those who've been brought from death to life. Stand with God. Or he says in, in Romans 6, 19, uh, present your members, again, every part of yourself, as slaves to righteousness for sanctification. He's kind of working with this Exodus theme uh, as he describes Jesus' redemption. And then Romans 14, 10, for we will all stand before the judgment of seed of God. There you can really see the component parts of this word. We will stand with or stand alongside of the judgment seat of God. And then here, of course, Romans 12, 1, present your bodies as a living uh, sacrifice. Now, give yourself to Jesus. This, this is what starts to change our minds and then starts to reshape our lives. Give yourself to Jesus. Now, notice... It took something outside of my professor in order to wake him up. What, what, what made the difference for him was the interaction with his wife, right? She, when it wasn't, he got all the way uh, to the train station, you know, half an hour away and got on the platform, called her and she said, honey, I can't pick you up. You've got the car. He, she told him the truth. She told him something that, they couldn't tell him in the crowd. She told him something that he might not have been able to tell himself if the pattern of the crowd was in him. It was a hard truth. And, and, 
And the reason uh, she could do that is because these two have been giving themselves to one another for years. They've been, they've been married for years. And so there's a, a love relationship there. There's a context of trust that's there. And that's what Paul is, is referring to here. Uh, something outside of you. Give your life to something bigger than yourself. Something outside of yourself. Something that, where you experience love that you can trust. Of course, this is, this is the Lord. This is God. So I want you just to notice, this is very different from the way the world thinks right now in our culture. The, the, the world tells us that if you want to unfollow the crowd, which is a good thing we understand, the way to do that is to look inside, not outside, like my professor did. Inside, look into yourself. Because deep down in, inside of yourself, we're told we're to find what we like, what attracts us, what makes us happy, what we think fulfills us, what, what, what our truth is. Look inside of yourself, what you're passionate about, and then try to live that out and follow that, see where that will take you. That's what the culture says. But Paul's saying, no, 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 this is very different. Don't look to the crowd. Don't look inside, look outside. Look to another who loves you and give yourself to that one. This is where you find a different pattern. Good news, the pattern of, of the new age in him, bringing transformation, reshaping your life as you do that. Give yourself to him as a living sacrifice. And so we start to hear in Paul's language here, the language of the cross it's uh, very similar to the way that Jesus spoke. He, Jesus oftentimes talked about uh, the way that we find ourselves is by losing ourselves. The way that we fulfill ourselves is by denying ourselves. The way that we experience life is by dying to ourselves. This is the way Jesus teaches. And Paul's a follower of Jesus, and he's picking this up as he writes his letter. He's saying, just like Jesus said, you really offer yourself to Jesus as a living sacrifice, and that's when your life begins to change. It's something outside of yourself. And let me give you an example from my own life. All my life, I've struggled with materialism. I grew up in a middle-class suburban American home, and the pattern there was you know, this idea that wealth can make you safe and that money can make you happy. And, and I, I'm afraid I had that pattern inside of myself, which, of course, I would. I, just, I grew up in that world. It's the only world of thought that I had ever known. And if you told me, George, well, if you want to know how to unfollow the crowd, just look inside, I, I, it wouldn't have helped because I, when I look inside, I see all that same stuff. And so, uh, what I want is actually that kind of the security of materialism and, and the happiness that wealth promised. That's what I want. And it was really driving beliefs and behaviors. Uh, beliefs like, uh, like when I look at people, um, if somebody has less than I have, I, I tend to look down on them, not in a mean way, but sort of just this pity that I hardly even notice. Or if someone has more than I do, I tend to overvalue them and maybe even envy them. My beliefs starts to distort the way I experience myself. My behaviors, um, there's a kind of a drive in my life at that point to, to really achieve by the world's standard a kind of success that would reward me financially. So it started with grades and um, internships and schools and it was nearly killing me actually this kind of performance treadmill that I was on to try to gain what the world told me would make me happy and safe and then I met Jesus 
Actually, I was in college. And here comes Jesus into my life with these wonderful words that, of Scripture. I'm reading, for example, Mark 8, 36. He says, For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Wow, that stopped me in my tracks. In Luke 12, 15, Jesus says, One's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. What? It doesn't? What else is there? And then Matthew 6, he says, Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father, your Father, feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And he says also, Why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of these. So Jesus is saying, hey, don't you have a father in heaven? Don't you know that this father has given himself to you in love? Don't you know that he provides for you and that your happiness is in his love, not in the things that he provides, but in who he is. It's like Jesus is saying, just delegate all the anxiety to me. You focus on me. You give your life to me. Seek first my kingdom and my righteousness, and all the rest will be added to you. That changed my life. That dramatically changed my life, really reoriented. I gave away a bunch of clothing, a bunch of money, simplified my life, in a way that I never had, and I felt great about it. It was so liberating. I was like, oh, I, have bro- I have broken the power of money in my life. But here's the postscript on that story. It didn't end there. And that the life of faith and life of following Jesus always involves us in this constant struggle. We'll feel this resistance, and I did. Over time, materialism began to influence me again. Uh, life gets more complicated. You start paying tuition bills, get married and kids and all these Things and, and pretty soon I was, materialism was there, still in the world. Materialism was there, it was still in me. And so I have to routinely, regularly offer myself, present myself as a living sacrifice to Jesus. I keep, I've come back, Jesus, I'm yours. I give you my life again. And, and that involves reading the scripture back to these same words of Jesus. It involves prayer, um, Lord send your Holy Spirit to empower me to live the transformed life that you promised me. Uh, It involves uh, discernment and thoughtfulness, deconstructing the lies, the untruths, the half-truths that come into my head uh, through the world around me. So it's an ongoing uh, process, but it's an ongoing process of giving myself to God. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, to God. The way to unfollow the world in your mind is to give yourself to Jesus. That's, that's what I'm saying here. And just think for a minute. Can you imagine what it would be like if we all did that? Just think for a moment. And here's my third point. Three, when you unfollow the world in your mind, you don't just change your mind. You change the world. You do. Look at where Paul takes this, where this passage lands. Verse 2, so that you may discern, so that, this is where this all goes, Paul says, you may discern, some translations say test and approve, discern, so that you may demonstrate, so that you may embody and live out, so that you might reveal and let the world see what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. By the way, that word perfect is telos in the Greek, telos, like telescope. It refers to the goal, 
the end, the ultimate, the ultimate destiny or destination. So now he's not talking about uh, the age, this age, or the age that's passing away. He's talking about the age that is to come. When you unfollow the world, when you give yourself to Jesus, the life change in you will, will show the world the new age that is, has come and begun in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Wow, it's going to change the world. See, now they're going to see the, the pattern of the new age in you. Honey, my professor's wife said, I can't pick you up. You have the car. You drove to work today, remember. And he's standing there on a train platform, and he realized, I'm not going to be able to get home the way I thought I was going to get home. What changes? His mind. Not just his mind, his actions. What's he going to do next? Well, he's probably going to just wait until a train coming the other direction stops. He's going to get on the next train going back into the city. Has to. Got to go get the car. So he's going to be probably the only guy sitting on that train going back into the city because this is the reverse commute, right? So he's got this lonely train. Notice what he's doing, though. He's going against the crowd. Now he's going to go against the crowd. We get a picture here of a man who's going back into the city under the influence of his beloved wife. Because that phone call kind of woke him up and connected him to one who's been giving herself to him in love for who knows how many years. And he's had this desire to respond by giving her love. This is why he made the call in the first place. Now under the influence of that call, he's going against the crowd. Oh, my goodness. On December 1st, 1955, a seamstress left work at a department store to head home. Rosa Louise McCauley Parks. The bus she would take stopped at the usual place, and she walked up the steps to the front of the bus and put her money in, and then she walked down those steps, and she went around the back door because she was African-American. And at the time in Montgomery, Alabama, that was the law. She got on the back of the bus in the so-called colored-only section. She got in the front of that section. But as the bus filled up with white people and the white section began to get full, the bus driver, a white man, asked Rosa Parks to move to the back of the bus, not just her, but three others. Well, the three others did. They got up and they moved to the back of the bus, but not Rosa Parks. She stayed in that seat. Why? Not because she was tired, like the mythology tells us. No, she wasn't tired. Rosa Parks was by far the strongest person on that bus. You can be sure of that. And where did that strength come from? Well, she tells the story. It comes from Jesus. Rosa Parks would write, I instantly in that moment felt God give me the strength to endure whatever would happen next. God's peace flooded my soul and my fear melted away. All people were equal in the eyes of God, and I was going to live like a free person. Wow. That, she said, came from God. That came from Jesus. Look, just think about the messages from the world that were in her head. I mean, everybody else on that bus is saying, that seat is not for you. When you're told, you get up and go. That's not your seat. 
And she, you could bet that having experienced anti-black racism all of her life, she took that message into her heart. But it doesn't stay there. She has a way of pushing it out. Why? Because she gives herself to someone outside of herself, the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, she's, Rosa Parks is a woman who's carried the Bible with her wherever she goes. Her grandfather reads it, her grandmother read it to her every night. Her grandfather prayed with her every night. She's in the habit of giving herself to Jesus. She's presented herself. She's standing alongside of Jesus. And you can bet that in her mind, it's almost like Jesus is sitting alongside of her in the very next seat, changing the way she thinks about what she hears from the world, changing the way she thinks about what she allows, settling in her heart. So that she says, this is my seat. All people are equal. This is my seat. I'm an American. This is my seat. And here she is. She's not going to move. This is the beginning of a change, not just in Rosa Parks' life, but in the world. She would write later, in the end, God uses a simple bus ride to accomplish more than we could have ever dreamed. This act begins the Montgomery bus boycott and, and advances dramatically the civil rights movement in America, in which followers of Jesus Christ claim the truth of what our Savior says, and Americans claim the promise of the Constitution more broadly. When you, follow, when you unfollow the world in your mind, you don't just change your mind, you change the world. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. The world won't take you where you want to go, but when you give yourself to Jesus, he won't just change your mind, he'll change the world. Because the key facts of Jesus are the key facts of the, of the world, right? Leslie Newbegin writes, the gospel is the announcement that in the series of events that have their center in the life, ministry, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, something has happened that alters the total human situation and must therefore call into question every human culture. Something has happened, brothers and sisters, that has changed the total human situation. This is such good news. This is the good news that our world, that our neighbors desperately need to hear right now and to see lived out in a vibrant community of faith filled with the Holy Spirit of Jesus, loving their neighbors. You know, Rosa Parks, she paid a price for unfollowing the world. Do you know that? She was fined. Uh, she lost her job at that department store. Her husband was fired. She paid a, a price. And, and friend, so will you when you unfollow the world. Do not expect this to be easy. But I'll tell you why you do it. You do it for Jesus. You know the language that Paul's using in Romans 12, 1 and 2? Living sacrifice, presenting yourself. He's really talking about Jesus. Jesus is the Son of God who has offered himself to the Father as a living sacrifice on our behalf. 
He has paid the price for our sin. This is what Paul has been saying for 11 chapters in the book of Romans. He has paid the penalty for our sin. He is the atoning sacrifice for us. He's given himself to us in love. So the question today is, how do we respond to this good news? I mean, this conversation that you and I are having, I don't believe in accidents. I believe this might be for you the professor's phone call right now. Not from your spouse, but from your Savior. Jesus is trying to get your attention going, you can trust me. This is the reality of the world. This is the reality of your life. And so what will we do with that? Well, I want to encourage you to take a next step. Jesus is saying to you, I want you here. I want you with me. Get yourself in here. What would that next step look like for you? I'm not talking about giving up desserts or wine for Lent or whatever. I'm talking about giving yourself to God, to your Savior, Jesus Christ. Think about what that step might be. You might write it down and share it with a friend. If, if you haven't ever said yes to Jesus, then that's your first step. Remember, two chapters earlier, chapter 10, verse 9, Paul writes, If you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That is quite a promise. If you confess and believe, you will be saved. Just have to say yes to Jesus. That's all it takes. It's a work of grace. God wants to give it to you right now. He wants to pull you into that holy place by his grace. If you've not done this yet, said yes to Jesus, we want to help you. Please come to upc.org slash Jesus. Now, I know you can raise your hand in the chat and we'll celebrate, but I really want to have a conversation with you. We have some friendly, warm people right now that are standing by on a Zoom call. And if you go to upc.org slash Jesus, and click one of the buttons, uh, you can have a conversation, brief conversation. They won't take much of your time, but they would love to talk with you, um, pray with you, give you some materials that will help you get started in this new relationship with Jesus Christ. Remember, there won't be any change until you do this. This is where it begins, Paul says. Once you say yes to Jesus, then your mind starts to change, your life starts to be reshaped, and the world changes. If you're ready to do that, Come to upc.org slash Jesus. I'm going to close with a prayer now, and I would invite you to pray this with me and make this prayer your own. Take these words and sp speak them to God. You can speak them out loud if you'd like to do that, or you can just pray quietly. He hears our thoughts as well. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, yes. Yes, I have sinned. But yes, you have died to pay the price for my sin. Yes, I trust in your love for me. Yes, I trust your promise of unconditional forgiveness and eternal life. Yes, I give you my life. Yes, I invite you to come within me, to empower me with your Holy Spirit for a new way to live. Amen.